Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. My guest this week is an exceptional guy, a very good friend, and a former colleague. Joshua Wolf was the very first intern we ever had at our writing office. I remember his first day like it was yesterday. A shy young kid, freshly out of university, looking completely lost and scared, and who seemed to hate having picked that particular day to start working with us. His first day at the office coincided with an important announcement and press conference we'd been preparing with the cabinet minister. In retrospect, perhaps there wasn't a better way to be thrown into this gig than to be shown exactly what this job is all about and what the expectations are. Josh proved not only to be incredibly intelligent and efficient, but he also quickly adapted and developed an impressive political acuity. Needless to say, we kept him on board once his internship was over. He later went on to work in advocacy and build an impressive network of political staffers, cabinet senior advisors, ministers, and even the premiers themselves. He now works in a field that he has always been passionate about, political engagement. He works with different professionals, community and social groups, schools, and other leaders with one main purpose, getting our citizens and primarily our youth engaged in our society's political, social, and community affairs. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, dude, thanks for doing this, man. Honestly, I appreciate it. I, it's not a problem. The second that you wrote me yesterday, I figured that you probably needed to redo it. So no problem at all. Yeah, so for the people watching or listening, this is uh, this is take two because uh, we're stuck uh, using technology uh, since we can't uh, see each other face to face. There was an issue. I'm not sure exactly what happened. So uh, luckily, it's serendipity, George. We wanted to spend more time together. That's it. That's it. It, it was meant to be. It was yeah. Meant to be. Uh, tell me how you're doing, first of all, man. This coronavirus thing. I see your your Instagram post. Uh, you're spending a lot of quality time with your girlfriend there. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting um, I'm getting haircuts at home. <laughs> which are, are going very well. I, I, honestly, I was blown away at um, Vanessa's ability to cut hair. And uh, I'll be honest, the first time that she did, she tried Tyson out first. And then uh, I, was, I was the runner-up just to make sure that all the equipment worked. I find it funny that you went after the dog, though. Well, I had to make sure that the, uh, the tools knew, were being used uh, correctly. Appropriately, yeah. Yes, appropriately. <laughs> I don't want you to chop off my ear or anything. Let's... Uh... No. Grab the dog, test. Well, I'll be honest because one time I had my hair cut before and I remember I was, in, um, I was in high school and it was a friend of mine that was doing it and he went up, I guess we were going to be uh, clipping, you know, using hair clippers for the side of my head. Yeah. And he went up the side of my head without a clip, uh, one of the uh, plastic pieces oh, on the Oh, he went just straight with a... Yeah, because oh, no. he forgot to put it on. So <laughs> I'm watching in the mirror as this happens, but I don't realize that he doesn't have a piece of uh, like one of the numbers on it. And then sure enough, uh, basically my head was a disaster after that. But I remember I insisted that I didn't want to do my whole head like that. So I had one line thinking that I could kind of hide it, but uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) there was no hiding it. And then I remember I went to track practice later on that day and the coach said, I hope you didn't pay for that. (laughs) No, I ordered some caps. So as soon as they come, I'm probably going to shave my head. I'm not sure. What's a cap? Uh, a hat, a cap. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, baseball hat. Yeah, baseball, whatever. Uh, but you haven't cut your hair since you're in uh, no, quarantine. No, 
no, that's no. impressive yeah 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 you're getting ready to do it probably uh, we're just gonna clip it off i mean at this point uh yeah what am i gonna do well there are some websites that sell uh the uh, the, the wrap around mirrors you know so you can wrap it around <laughs> your head and then go in with the scissors yourself <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's gonna happen they've been uh, popping up on my instagram feed trying to push that <laughs> tell me uh tell me how you're coping uh, with all this uh pandemic man how's uh how's this new uh uh this new life how are you adapting to this the new reality for for us um it started a while ago i remember i want to say mid early march actually um I remember there were already uh, people talking about it and how it was spreading really quickly in other parts of the world. So I think we were uh, hyper aware of it from the very uh, beginning. I remember that there was an international diving contest in Montreal that we went to, and I'm inclined to say it was end of February, mm -hmm. if not uh, beginning of March. And already then, certain countries hadn't been allowed to come to compete wow. because they were the countries that had been hardest hit at the time. Yeah. with the virus so we were aware of it then and uh from there it kind of snowballed um and it's been uh it's been really strange um but in a sense i find that you can find appreciation for some of the things that you wouldn't have otherwise had yeah so the small things like phone calls with friends that i haven't spoken to in a long time from college uh, i have this whatsapp group that is revived in a way it never was since we graduated in 2008 yeah um that's when i was mentioning whatsapp before one of the yeah. people on that has an android and it's uh it's really nice to to reconnect with those guys and um family members too we're, we're in much more regular contact uh zoom dinners with uh the whole family all all together including the uh, nieces and nephews which for yeah. my mom is is great um and just like walks with the dogs going outside and making time for things like lunch yeah that um you know, I hadn't really taken before. It was a very fast paced sort of uh, existence uh, prior to all this. And I find that everything is slowed down. Yeah. Um, you guys are, you're still working though? Are you doing everything remotely or what's going on? Yeah, I'm still working. Our, uh, the organization where I work, um, everything has been uh, made in a way that it can be done virtually. So a lot of the programming, for example, is done virtually with, uh, uh, high school students all the way through university and, and the community in general. Um, meetings with colleagues can be done virtually too. So it's uh, it's kind of amazing the technology that exists that can facilitate all this. Yeah, I don't think anybody realized how much um, we can be in touch without actually being in the same space as somebody as the people we're talking to. Yeah. Do you think there uh, this is going to be our new reality going forward, or do you think it's just a matter of time before everything actually comes to what it used to be. I think there are certainly going to be things that will remain changed. Um, one of the things that I, I heard Dr. Fauci in the US talk about was the idea of handshaking being something that should never resume. Isn't that um, which, crazy? That's, that's, that's it, it, does sound, it does sound actually uh, nuts, right? Because we've been doing it for so long and especially yeah. for people who are in politics or work in politics, it's something that is uh, a custom that you don't even think twice about, right? It's a standard thing, yeah. Yeah. It actually feels weird not to shake someone's hand when you meet them now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, but there's this awkwardness. You're like, what do I do now? Uh, you know? <laughs> like you bump hand, elbows now. Yeah, you bump elbows or you actually just joke about it. Ah, we can't shake hands. Ah, yeah. I don't know, man. It, it's, it's strange, though. It's, uh, it's weird. 
Well, I think that I believe it was actually, again, Dr. Fauci that mentioned, or maybe I was reading an article that sort of was telling the origins of the handshake, yeah. which was to ensure that you weren't carrying a weapon. <laughs> so you had to bring your hands out and shake the, the other person that you were meeting's hands. Um, so I don't know that uh, we want to have a, a tradition based on such a sense of distrust. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, going forward, there will be other ways of greeting each other. And I think I mentioned this last time with you that maybe next time I see you, George, I can bow, you know, wow. we can try that. But um, other things that I don't know will, will resume as normal right away for sure is the way we even interact when we're in public, you know, walking down the sidewalk. Mm. Uh, I don't sense that people are going to be ready to just walk without taking into consideration those that are around them, whether or not they're wearing a mask. Yeah. Yeah. How close they are. Like you, um, you're, like you're a jogger, you go out and jog. Mm -hmm. How weird is it that you're, you, you see someone coming up ahead and it's like, you got to jump three meters on the side. It's wild. It's really wild, especially living where, uh, where I live right on the canal. If you even walk outside, it's like there's people coming in all different directions. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I go for a run, I try and go at times that aren't peak hours for people that would, you know, be going for a walk or whatever it is that people do at this yeah. time. Um, but yeah, if I'm out for a run, I'm trying. It's like a ping pong ball, you know, bouncing from one side of the road yeah. to the other, trying to avoid people. And I think that everybody else is doing the same thing. Um, it's rare that I feel that you'll walk by someone that won't also be trying to distance. So I do find that there's a general sense of awareness that is very keen. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, you know, when they talk about reopening and the idea that stores are going to be open to go to, for example, in downtown Montreal, I don't know how comfortable I would feel even doing that for the foreseeable future. Oh, no, for sure. And you know, I think we spoke about that too in the, 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 first, the first recording. I have, a, I have a bunch of friends that are in the restaurant industry. I have some friends that are in the entertainment business, you know, they're, they're stand-up comics. Uh, and they're all worried, you know, it's like, okay, say tomorrow the quarantine is lifted, everything is fine. You know, what tells you that the people are going to have the exact same confidence they had, you know, four, five, six months ago to pick up and come eat to a rest, uh, you know, in a restaurant or go watch a show, a hockey game, a theater play. Uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure people are just going to automatically go back to their old habits. Can you imagine traveling by plane? You know, and that uh, uh, to some degree, like if you have to travel, you have to travel. Like you can, you can tell yourself, I won't go to the restaurant because I'm paranoid and forget it. I'll just eat home, you know, or order in. Mm -hmm. But if you need to travel for work or if you need to, whatever, you know, you're, you're traveling for whatever reason, you have to go. Like, <laughs> there's no other. <laughs> they, they're going to have to start giving hazard pay for people who are just going on a business trip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm honestly worried. And I understand that, you know, they want to restart the, the economy. Everyone is, uh, is worried that there may be a second wave coming, like in the fall. And if there's a recession that hits then, then we're all screwed. So, you know, we're trying to you know, bring in as much as possible now so that it can be, you know, a soft recession if you want or so that the hit won't be as hard. But at the same time, this is what we were talking about before. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, in people's minds, their perception, when you're telling them everything is back in business, people don't realize that there's still a very present danger out, right? So they're like, uh -huh. oh, okay, everything's back to normal. The businesses are all open. Restaurants are all open. That means we can go out, you know? You know, dude, last weekend, you know, last week was the first week that everything had reopened, right? And mm -hmm. I'm talking to one of my friends and, 
you know, I told him, what do you, how was the weekend? He goes, oh, it was good. You know, my parents came over, my in-laws came over. I'm like, no. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, no, we were all careful. But in any case, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're like, they were home all the time. You know, they, they were closed in. So, I mean, they, it's not like they went anywhere because for the whole, you know, during this whole two or three months, they were, you know, they were confined. So mm-hmm. we're confident that, you know, they, they, they don't carry any bug or anything like that. And they just came over. Everything, you know, everyone's careful. You know, we did our distancing, but, you know, it was nice. You know, they saw the kids and everything. So people just, you know, they're, they're much more at a comfortable state now. They're, they, they think that things are done. We're over. Let's get back to normal slowly. And that, I think, is very dangerous. I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I also find it kind of funny when I'm on scrolling through some, you know, Instagram I'll see these new posts from companies that are advertising face masks as if they're like these fashion items, <laughs> you know, with different patterns on it that make them even more attractive. But um, I, was reading, I was reading an article actually this morning and they were saying that this may be the, the reality going forward. Maybe no, 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 masks no. in public will be the thing. So, so you know, it'll be different styles, fall, different colors, you know. Yeah. yeah. There's even some uh, high-end designers who are working on them now <laughs> with, the, with the visors across your whole face, you know. Uh, uh, maybe we'll be walking around in hazmat suits. I'll just get a, just put a hockey just helmet. You go out, yeah. you put your helmet on with <laughs> <laughs> <Or> a <the> visor. <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny that we're talking about that because I'm wondering in the fall after the summer, are we all going to be walking around with tan lines on our face that are exactly the size of a little square? <laughs> you have a little square on your nose. Yeah. yeah. But you know what the, the other thing is, Josh. We got lucky. Lucky. It's a bad word to use, lucky. But in the, in the, in a way, you know, the fact that it came. In March, I mean, it's much better than imagine this hitting us in the middle of winter here in Canada. You know what I mean? I feel like that like would have been, yeah, imagine like December or January dealing with this thing, you know, mm-hmm. horrible, you know, at the, same time, but at the same, but at the same time, perhaps not because people are indoors anyway, winter time. So maybe they, they were, they could have been able to, to, to limit the, the spread, but I just can't imagine being stuck at home winter time. Like everything that is bad is happening at you know at the yeah. same time. You know? I think that the toll that this is taking on people's mental health has been uh, has been high for some, yeah. especially those who live alone. So if you were to compound that with the middle of winter when there's almost no sunlight, I think oh. that people would really would really be having a tough time. Now now that it's nice outside, I feel that it's a little bit easier because you can go in your backyard, you can go for a walk, so it's not minus twenty. Yeah. Um, but I, I do see the the danger there is that everybody's going to be doing that, and um, I can see it. You know, when you're walking around by the canal outside or uh, in any of the parks, uh, there's a lot more people out, and because that's one of the only places that people can go to enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, and you were telling me that the cops sometimes come and you know. It's really uh, it's apocalyptic. They they show up with vehicles with uh, armed with these speakers that are playing a recording, advising everybody to maintain a certain distance. And if they don't, there will be a fine that will be uh, given out anywhere between a thousand and six thousand dollars. That's a it's a recording, so they just play it over and over again. That's for us. That's that's annoying more than anything. But that also is something that scares me. I mean, we've given our our police authorities extra um, extra powers, and I get it. I mean, we're you know we're we're living through a very particular time, and you know you need to take these extra measures. I get it. What I'm worried about is, are we going to be able to revoke those mm-hmm. once everything is said and done? 
And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it comes down to us giving away, you know, our civil liberties, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, it has a very strange feeling to it when I see the uh, the vehicles uh, driving around playing that, that recording. It feels like it's a scene out of a movie. Yeah. That I would have never imagined happening in real life. But, you know, here we are. And I don't think that this is necessarily the last time we're going to be dealing with something like this. See, the, the, I was thinking, I was talking about that the other day with my wife. Uh, you know, we're thinking that how crazy is it that okay, we 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 weren't prepared for this, right? I mean, so everything that's happening now, some of it is you know is planned. Some of it, you know, there's there's research behind it. Some of some of it is just testing. Okay, let's just test this, and if it doesn't work, you know, we'll go back to how it was. So we're seeing a lot of this thing happening, but hopefully nothing happens. But let's say something else comes up in the future. <clears throat> You know, you've been through it already, and it just feels, I'm scared that it'll become like automatic, right? Like the next time we have a pandemic or there's a virus or whatever it is, it's like you push on a button. Okay, police, you have your, your extra powers now. Uh, everyone's staying home, business. Like, like it's as if we're going to be programmed to just stop, seclude ourselves. Like that's scary to me, man. Yeah. In a sense, uh, we're the guinea pigs. Yeah, the current uh, the current population are are figuring it out so that in the future it won't be such a trial and error. It'll be we know what works, we know what doesn't, and I don't know how long that this trial period is going to last. So I think that that's what people are very uncomfortable with. But imagine if it's something that isn't that serious, right? Mm-hmm. And because we're so programmed now to follow instructions, the next time around we're just going to you know follow blindly whatever we're told. And it won't be like this catastrophic, right? I mean, maybe it's just a minor little thing. Yeah, people will freak out. Our uh, The litmus test is going to require a lot less going forward like to, there's so much, there's to so, react to. so much fear, I think, that has been instilled in people's minds that the slightest thing now is just going to make us panic, you know? Yeah, I certainly feel that way. And we know that almost annually there's some kind of viral um rather virus that that goes around if it's the flu or it's something else like it people tend to um get sick during respiratory illness season yeah and i don't know what that looks like next winter um if there's going to be another uh strain of the same virus which they're already talking about now if there's going to be another uptick if there's no vaccine uh in time for that are people going to just go right back into full shutdown mode yeah so whatever businesses survive, for example, through the first wave, I don't know that they'll be able to survive the second one if there is one. But it seems like it's incredibly likely there will be one. Yeah. It's inc- I, was, I was listening to the news, I think it was two weeks ago, there was an analyst saying that in Montreal, one out of two restaurants risks uh, closing down. Mm-hmm. 50% chances, man. You have a restaurant today, 50% chances you're gone, 50% chances you're staying alive. But even if you stay alive what are the chances that you'll be able to make it? Like you said, you know, if there's a second wave that comes, you know, you're done. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's a reality. So many businesses, even outside the restaurant industry are are facing. I I was reading something along the lines. uh, This was for Toronto. I think that they were looking at almost three quarters of businesses wouldn't be able to survive if they had to pay rent. Um, so incredibly difficult times for, for people in, in all, uh, business, uh, sectors. And, um, I, I think a lot of them are nervous for what the future holds if they do make it through this. Mm-hmm. 
all of the sacrifices that they're making. So, but I think that the government has been great in terms of the ways in which it's trying to help businesses and individuals for that matter, uh, very proactive. So I think that in that sense, uh, Canada has, has been at the forefront of, of really helping Canadians. And I think that you see that in the approval numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the approval numbers, I mean, it's normal during a crisis and we've seen that you know, many times before. There's a crisis that hits. Your leaders are always gonna uh, grow in support. You know, people mm-hmm. are people are. You know, in times like uh, in times of crisis, people tend to put uh, politics aside. The ideologies are put aside. They just look for guidance, uh, reassurance, and they always look up to their leaders. Right. Uh, With one notable exception. Which one? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He shall remain unnamed. <laughs> Although I think we know who we're talking about. It's really uh, wild what's going on in the U.S. right now. Yeah, but the thing is that he has his support, man. I mean, you know, I, we look, we're looking at it from a different perspective, but you know, there's all, he he still has a lot of support. I think I don't. I think his numbers are have gone down. Uh, yeah. But also the fact that you know it's it's a, it's campaign year. I mean, it's an election year in the U.S. And that's, it's tough to juggle. When I think it's, I mean, floating an idea, like perhaps injecting yourself with Lysol uh, <laughs> or suggesting medications that have never been tested or in fact could kill you, which I think has actually been the result in a few, uh, in a few places is uh, incredibly troubling. I feel like I've had a discussion with a few people um, about it and I'm sure you have too, but prior to him taking office, I feel like there wasn't a need to fact check the president, you know, every, <laughs> yeah, every, yeah. every word or sentence that comes out of their mouth. Well, no, there was, the, 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 they, they used to fact check. It's just that it happened uh, in a, you know, I don't know what the word to use is here, but like in a more normal uh, scenario, right? I mean, you have your journalists, they, they, uh, they have jobs to do. And I feel that ever since, you know, they coined the term fake news, it's as if every journalist is wrong. Yeah, and I find that that's incredibly problematic because... First of all, it has diminished that profession, right? And it's not even a profession, it's a vocation. I mean, these people do it because they love what they do. But at the same time, uh, they have to be questioning themselves. If I bring up this piece of news, okay, or this editorial or whatever, will I lose credibility because somebody will call me out as fake news, for example, you understand? So, it, it, like you said, it, it's just a weird time (laughs) so while on the one hand it's chipped away at the credibility of institutions that have prior to his taking the presidency never been questioned um, it's also given people who should have no credibility the same amount of credibility as those institutions or or journalists or newspapers people who can put together a broadcast in their basement that looks like cnn Mm -hmm. but actually has conspiracy theorists coming on and that winds up going viral and they so, exist, and they exist, you know. And some of those things are going viral at, at uh, dangerous rates today because I think that uh, uh, people are, are generally um, not sure what they can trust. Yeah. It's also the, it's also the technology that has advanced to the point where mm-hmm. everything is so accessible right now, right? I mean, before, uh, like... You know, I remember growing up in Montreal, there was like two stations, three stations playing news. That's the only source that we got, right? Now, you know, we're talking about before Twitter and Facebook and all these things. You're bombarded with information. You have no idea where it's coming from. You have no idea if it's back-checked. You have, you, you, there's zero idea. 
and sometimes you have actual journalists that that repeat those news right they don't fact mm-hmm. check either now it, it has become it has become um you know we live at a time where we need to get the news out rather than get quality news out right it's like let's be first let's get it yeah. out don't worry about it just get it out that's such you know? a good point yeah uh, it's a really good point that you like who, make who's gonna, who, like who's gonna be first to announce whatever you know what i mean because mm-hmm. everything now is on twitter I, I get my news on twitter and i, I you know we we're talking about this before you get you get it on twitter and on facebook i feel like that it's a race it's a race on who's gonna make it first to the feed because whether or not it's true has become secondary to the idea of whether or not it's important i don't know if it becomes secondary i think it's it, it just becomes maybe negligible i mean it's um you know put it out there and then we'll reissue because it's instant, right? You can, you can, you know, in a matter of a minute or two minutes or an hour, how many times can you just post something and with an update, you know, back in the day, we, that wasn't the case. You, no. got, you, you got your newspaper in the morning and then you yeah. got news in the morning at noon and at night. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I think my, I don't know if it would have been during my parents' time, but I feel like they definitely told me that it wasn't that long ago that in <clears throat> movie theaters, they used to have newsreels that would start before the movie. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And they would get their news uh, in a in a capsule before the movie started. That's funny because not everybody had televisions at home, so that right. was one way that people would get their news. Right. But um, yeah, it's so instantaneous, it's so fluid. People aren't checking sources. People are uh, fact checking um, like never before. There's a president who needs to be fact checked for every 280 characters. I think um, there's a ridiculous number of things that he has said since taking the presidency that are just completely untrue. Um, so it's a, that in that sense, it's a completely new era. Um, but it's, uh, it's especially at a time like this, right, where information needs to be verifiable, A, and B, have credibility. Sure. Um, because it's dangerous if people are digesting stuff that's not correct. Yeah. <clears throat> it's weird it's yeah weird. It's, uh, it's very strange <laughs> all right let's talk about politics um we're going to talk a little bit about what you do because i find it fascinating that you've uh, reached the point where uh you're involved in political engagement and you know this i think it's very important uh we've had countless conversations on, on that uh let's start pretty much from the beginning because we met we, uh, back in, I don't even remember what year it was, but you came in as an intern and uh, we ended up keeping you because uh, we we saw the value in, uh, in, in you as a person and also in the work that you could potentially um, carry out for us. Uh, and uh, yeah, since then, it's been, uh, uh, it's been an interesting journey for you. It has been a very interesting journey for me. I didn't necessarily imagine myself working in politics at a young age at all i mean politics wasn't something that i really gave much thought to how how did it happen for you like how did how did you like how did you fall upon that internship how how did did, and and how did you have that interest to say okay well yeah maybe this is what i what i want to try out Mm -hmm. i think my experience going to school in the u.s uh really sensitized me to the importance of being politically aware I was in university in the U.S. at a time when um, the U.S. elections, uh, the presidential elections were going on to reelect George Bush and then also the beginning of the the era of Barack Obama. And um, everybody on campus at that time was extremely active and engaged. 
And it was something that I hadn't prior experienced. And I was also studying the history of the Middle East at the time in the university. And for me, um, that obviously opened my eyes to a history that in many ways is one of the most political between, uh, yeah. between peoples, etc. So when I came back to Montreal, I realized that I wanted to learn more about the political systems here. Um, I knew a lot about what was going on in the U.S. I graduated. I came home. I tried to work for my father in, uh, in the clothing industry. I worked there for about a year, but I realized I wasn't really passionate about that. I'm somebody who's always enjoyed debating, having discussions with, with people, uh, particularly people who don't always agree. I think that those are the most interesting conversations to have. So when I graduated, I came back. Like I said, I worked for my dad, and then uh, I came across this internship opportunity to work um, for an elected member of the National Assembly. Uh, I didn't know for which political party, so that also seemed really interesting because had I wound up whatever political party it would have been, I, I would have seized the opportunity. Um, and then I wound up getting to come and work uh, in your office um, for Jerry Sklubunos and, and you and Doris and Tony. And it was a life-changing experience for me. It opened my eyes in ways that, as I said, I, I wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to, to see things. Um, working in an area like Laurier de Rion, in one of the most multicultural writings in all of Canada. Yeah. Um, it was uh, in, an incredible experience. And also working in uh, a French environment, which for me growing up hadn't been the case, right? I went to an English school. Uh, I was raised in a very English part of Montreal. And I wasn't um, given uh, much opportunity to uh, exchange with the French um, majority society in Quebec. So it was through the office in uh, Le Rédorion that I got that chance. I also got to dialogue with people from political parties growing up I might not have had the chance to. And uh, it was beautiful in that sense, getting to meet people with different opinions on issues and, uh, and causes. And uh, I, I really appreciated that whole experience. And that was, I think, a nine-month internship that turned into a, a full-time gig working with you guys, which yeah. uh, was really amazing. I, I remember when you came, <laughs> I remember the, fir the first day you came in, we were preparing to do a huge uh, press conference. It was an yep. announcement with a minister. And uh, I, I, I had completely forgotten that, you know, the intern was coming in, right? I had completely forgotten. We were just busy doing all sorts of things. So I walk in, in the morning, and you're already there. <laughs> you looked so lost. I remember. Oh, I was so nervous. And I was thinking, who is this guy now, man? I mean, like, can we close the office? We have other rooms. We can't to speak do. French. We don't know what to do with him. <laughs> you were just, you. It, it was like, you know, like when you're dragging a little string behind you. Yeah. Okay, come this way. Come this way. Okay, go that way. Go here. You're just, okay, stay here for now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Was that overwhelming for you? I mean, did you think that, shit, what am I doing now? Like, what's going on around me? Like, you you imagine starting a new job where someone's going to take you in, coach you, you know, he's going to show you, like, it's going to be nice and peaceful and nice and quiet. And, you know, you're going to take your time to learn and, you know, adapt. And you come into the, not at the all. opposite. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, right? And such a... I, I'll never forget, I think the first staff meeting, first of all, the first day it was a press conference. I'll, yeah. I'll never forget that because I got in, I think it was Tony's car to drive from the office to it was a, um, a community center in the writing. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, just trying to keep up with you guys and figuring, observing. 
Yeah. And uh, later on that day, I think that there was a staff meeting and uh, I was introduced to everybody on the team. And I was told, like, take the first two weeks to figure out where you can be of most use. Yeah. Something I had never imagined happening in a job. Like, well, well, where do I start? You know, <laughs> I don't even know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, let alone figure figuring out. out how to do it. Figure out what you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but in a sense, that was one of the coolest approaches to, uh, to, to being introduced to a line of work that I you know that's possible because it was at a time uh, when social media was new, mm -hmm. figuring out how uh, people can communicate with uh, a broader audience than just those that they're actually physically in front of or through television or radio. And um, I remember at the time you guys were so open to all of that, you know, from mm -hmm. building a website to figuring things out like Facebook and uh we 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 really did a a great job of exploring all of that, and um, at the same time teaching me about things like les cut comptes or um, uh, dealing with citizens that would walk in and getting to sit in on those meetings and seeing just how much uh, government uh, government offices can really do to help people. It was, right. it was really amazing in that sense. Um. No, you're right, uh, and we were we were among the first ones to to hop on this uh, on the social media thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Very few, I mean, Twitter existed already. I think we were already on Twitter because everybody was on Twitter. Um, but you know, Facebook websites, um, you know, all these things, uh, uh, preparing you know little videos and uh, uh, yeah, greetings, albums, you know, what I mean, like all these things nobody was doing, mm -hmm. and even something like Wikipedia. Yeah, for, for information that we wanted to share with people, you know, uh, right. and and make sure that information was disseminated. Press releases, I remember that. Trying to get those up on social media and also yeah. putting them in the website and indexing them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was really neat to figure all that out, and uh, I learned so much in that process too, right? Like how to make a website. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then using something like Photoshop, like I had never known how to use that, or and I'm still terrible, but at least I, I had the opportunity to try and learn a little bit. You were you were a professional. Yeah, <laughs> Josh, you know what to do. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Had you uh, did you ever do a campaign with us, or because I remember at some point you 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 left, you went back to Israel. Uh, did you manage to do a campaign? So I did. I I was on. I believe it was two campaigns with you guys. Um, there was one campaign. I remember the campaign office was on Jean Talon, close to the McDonald's, but across the street. On the second floor. So yeah, 2012. Yeah, that was in 2012. Right, because you, you came after 2008, I think. Uh, yes. So you didn't do that? I was in 2009, I came I to the office, and then I was with you guys until I went to study in Israel in 2011. And then from 2011 until 2012, I was away. And then I came back and I started working again for, for you. Um, yeah, you came and back. That, we that. almost went right into a campaign. That's right. That's right. And then you did probably the 14 one. Yeah. 2014. That's psychotic. The elections. Or not 2014. So it would have only been 2012, the campaign I was with you guys. But I'll never forget that. It was such a change in pace for me. Is it crazy? There's no, there's no end, and uh, I feel like that was a really long campaign too. I can't remember how long it was, but any campaign feels long, especially in our riding where it's nonstop. And you know, and not to judge uh, anyone else, I mean, I know that everyone campaigns hard, but a campaign in Lori Dorian is night and day from 
any other campaign across the province, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I remember because <laughs> I, I was in charge of obviously the media and all that stuff, and I was trying to take publicity, and I was calling a writing. We're not going to say which writing it is, but it's it's a safe writing, okay? And I was calling like at seven, seven thirty, and the offices were closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the campaign office is closed at seven. Zero worries. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're gonna close at five. Whereas us, we're open until like eleven midnight. Yeah, I, I remember going for dinners together at at, uh, at insane hours. Yeah, when yeah. things were slowing down a little bit, but then we go back to the office afterwards. Yeah, no, no, campaigning, uh, campaigning is definitely a, a unique experience in Laurier Dorian. So I remember actually now, so it was 2012 was the campaign I was, I, I worked on. And then the next campaign, I was no longer working with you guys, but I came to visit it a couple of times and yeah, I, I was great. able to really uh, understand what you yeah. guys were going through because had I had done it just, in 2012. You had just gotten a job there. Yeah. You yeah. Had, I think it was like just a couple of months before. Yeah. I remember you telling us and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> <laughs> we're getting ready for a campaign. What are you doing? Uh, of course, I was talking uh, for you, though. Uh, you went on to work for an organization, and you were very close to government. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience, because you know you're working as a political staffer, and then it's as if every single door in front of you is just open, right? It's like you're meeting every single person in government. You're dealing with uh, with uh, you know top staffers. I mean, did you even ever imagine coming into that internship, one, that you would kind of remain in politics, and two, that you were going to reach that kind of level where you'd be, you know, rubbing shoulders with, you know, the premiers and, you know, their top staffers? So, no, definitely not. When I first took the internship, like I said, I didn't know much about Quebec politics or Canadian politics, um, and that was really what I was hoping to gain out of it. Um, but I think as a result of uh, getting to work full time after the internship really uh, gave me the opportunity to continue to um, meet lots of people from from different political parties. And I also learned something really neat in that process that the political divide in Quebec and in Canada is not what it is in other countries. Like people from different political parties here can have a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody from across the aisle. They can be friends outside or even in uh, parliament. Um, and it's not like they, they can't get along. Uh, while they might disagree on things, there's a lot yeah. that they do agree on and that the conversation can remain civil. But after I left um, uh, working in, in the writing office in Lorient, I went to work um, as an advocacy, uh, for an advocacy organization. And I do believe that, uh, well, first of all, it's very different, right? Because um, it's nonpartisan. So right away, I'm no longer working with a political party that I, I was and um, working with all political parties. And in that sense, uh, it was a real change for me. Um, and it was really issues focused. So I was taking up certain issues and taking those uh, issues uh, with me to meetings with elected officials, but also with community members so mm. within the Jewish community, yeah. um, raising awareness uh, with respect to certain issues both um, among elected officials, like I said, and, and in the community and making sure that uh, we were doing our best to convey those issues and what we wanted to be done about them um, so, to all so, political parties. So you went on to do this at a time where our party was no longer in government uh, and also at a time where obviously you've co- you come out of you know, this field where you're pretty much labeled, right? I mean, you've been working for you know, a given member of parliament that is elected under 
uh, a banner of a specific party. And now you have to make contacts with a bunch of different people that are obviously in opposing parties. And in addition to that, I mean, we're no longer in government. So, you know, the facility you would have had pr probably before is not there, right? To kind of... Mm -hmm. um, uh, to kind of go around this whole atmosphere, this whole environment. So was that a challenge for you? Or how did, how did you feel about making these contacts and meeting all these people when they know that you've already been kind of labeled? I think at the beginning, I was very nervous about that. Uh, but it turned out to be nothing like what I thought. Everybody yeah. was very open to, to uh, having conversation with me, meeting with me, regardless of party. I think at that point in time, I, I, as I mentioned before, I realized that the, the divide is really not that big in Quebec. Yeah. Um, that it's, you're able to have a conversation with, uh, with people from different political parties. And when I went to work for the Jewish community, I realized that um, people were all very open to meeting with me. It didn't matter what political party that they were from. I was working for a nonpartisan organization, so we didn't have a political affiliation one way or the other. And we were really there. I was there to talk about Jewish community issues. And everybody was open to, to meeting me with, with me yeah. about that. And everybody was friendly. I didn't once have uh, uh, any anything but that. And I, I think it just speaks to the openness that you can find in uh, in Quebec on on uh, on that front. Right. Uh, let's talk about engagement because that's what you do uh, now. Mm -hmm. Why go into uh, that direction. Why is it important for you to be engaged, or not so, for you to be engaged? I mean, you're already engaged. Yeah. So my engagement started when I started working for you guys. Yeah. Um, but I think because of that, I realized how exciting it can be to be politically engaged. So whenever I talk to people, one of the things that like lights me up like a Christmas tree is talking about politics. I love talking about politics. I will talk to anybody I can about politics. So getting to work for an organization that allows me to do that, encourage others to do the same, um, has been uh, incredible. It's very different from doing advocacy work. Engagement is about encouraging people to get out there on the front lines for whatever political party that they choose. So we're multipartisan. It's different than working uh, for a nonpartisan organization. We don't deal at all with issues. So I'm just out there trying to encourage people to find the party that best represents their values and get involved. Because at the end of the day, if there's a cause that you really care about, you can't expect other people to take care of that cause for you, especially for young people today. Um, for example, if you talk about the environment, yeah. A lot of kids in high schools that uh, we work with, uh, when we ask what is uh, something that you guys really care about um, in terms of uh, causes, and the environment is one that's very common. And yeah. we saw last summer that there was a huge demonstration in Montreal, um, and kids uh, kids went to that, schools closed down, and they really do care about that. So one of the things that I'll say is like, figure out which party you feel is the strongest on that issue and get involved. Go volunteer, meet with the candidates and elected officials in that party. Become members of their youth wings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really cool opportunity. You can network with people that you wouldn't otherwise get the chance to network with. And who knows where it'll it'll land you. Maybe you'll find a, a career that you might want to pursue is that, in politics. Is that the end goal for you? I mean, do you want them to kind of start getting engaged with the purpose of them actually getting involved as a staffer or in government or just getting engaged so they can be engaged, like to know what's going on and to, to have, you know, a base of volunteers that, you know, you can mobilize uh, and help out, you know, your community. 
I think at the end of the day, one of the, the largest goals or, or the, that we have is to increase the political literacy yeah. um, in, uh, in the community that I work for now, but also to encourage people to, to get out and, uh, and mobilize to, to volunteer. I think that that's a great way for people to, to participate in democracy. Uh, obviously, it would be nice to see people eventually decide to have a career in politics, but you can't. You can't. Yeah, nobody no, knows how that's going to turn out. I yeah. mean, with me, for example, it did turn out that way, but it's not going to be that way for everybody. It's just, you know, when you graduate from high school, I feel like some people don't have the basics to understand politics. And what they do have is information that was passed down from their parents, right, about which political party that they should support. But they're going to come into that age where they have the right to vote for the first time. And yeah. not a lot of people, uh, many people don't have an appreciation for how incredible that right is. Yeah. Um, and how much it means at all levels of government that we have in Canada and that being better informed and perhaps even involved with a political party of your choosing is a great way to exercise um, a civic duty and, and to, to get out there and just campaigning, volunteering is such a cool experience to see yeah. how much work goes into a campaign and uh, how passionate some of the people are that get involved in politics who really care about some of the things that their platform uh, include is, is something that I, I wish more people would get to see. Yeah. You know, I've said this often in previous podcasts. If there's one thing that I think we failed at, or maybe not failed at, but you know, could have done much better at, is getting youth more involved uh, locally with us. We, we, we just couldn't understand you know maybe maybe it's our fault i don't know maybe it's just the youth that was disconnected i i don't know but at the end of the day we couldn't figure out a way to kind of bridge mm -hmm. that you know uh is it the same thing for you i mean where's the youth in, in all of this you mentioned youth before um are they now more involved are they more engaged are you focusing more on youth or just anyone how is it evolving so we don't only focus on youth we focus on all age groups so yeah. But our programming starts from high school and then it runs through university. We have programs there and then it's the, the general community as well. Um, but in terms of trying to get youth to, to be engaged or to, to be willing to talk about politics, I think we, we look at it from um, the perspective that, you know, find something that they care about and then encourage them to find out more, of, you know, which party can help them advocate or, or argue for that cause in the best way possible. But you've seen, like, do you see that there's an interest at that age or is there like this disconnect? I feel that there's not so much of a disconnect. In high school, when you go in and you give them an opportunity to actually talk about some of this stuff, a lot of them haven't had that chance. Okay. Um, and I, I do think when you present them with um, a multipartisan uh, approach right and bring in guests from different political parties and you actually bring in political staffers to talk about how they got into that career and what it's like working as a staffer or as an elected official it's really giving these kids an opportunity to hear firsthand what it's like and I don't think that there's any more um, valuable way that you can do that and I'm not going to say that every high school student gets turned on to a potential career in politics but do they, um, are they interested to hear from guest speakers that we bring in? Absolutely. And I think that these conversations are, are amazing. And having even worked myself um, in politics, it's, it's amazing to get the chance to talk to youth about what that was like for me. Because when I was their age, some of the questions I'll be asking, I right away say I wouldn't have been able to answer. 
Yeah. So I completely understand where you guys are and what's going through your heads. And this thing, people, you know, politics is this very abstract idea that for you probably you're, you don't even see the importance of, but it's soon that you guys are going to have the right to vote for the first time. And, um, being educated on uh, the basics of how government works, you know, right from the municipal to provincial to federal. Um, what are, you know, political literacy, like what is an MP? What is an MNA? What is a city councilor? What's a riding? What's a district? Yeah. These are things that people in politics will use interchangeably and throw around. Sure. But we have to keep in mind that the general public aren't, uh, is not um, necessarily aware of, of the things that we talk about. And, uh, I, I look back on when I first came to work for you guys, none of the things that I'm talking about now would I have known then. And uh, I was gra- I graduated from university and um, I didn't have much political literacy at all. So I, I have to remi- remind myself of that no matter who I'm talking to. Yeah, right. Uh, you mentioned before, you know, one of the purpose you have is to kind of guide people in figuring out what they're interested in and then, you know, researching who best represents those interests and, you know, just helping out and being engaged. Do you feel that, you know, people's engagement, because, you know, I, I remember back in the day where people, and I'm use this as an example, you know, you, you're liberal because your parents were liberal and because your grandparents were liberal. So naturally you just became a liberal. Um, it was much more based on the ideology rather than, um, you know, uh, this attraction to populist ideas or like a specific Mm -hmm. platform. Uh, Do you feel that in terms of engagement, people are much more attracted to like an ideology, a party specifically, or they just look at topics, "Mm, okay, the environment, who best represents the environment and my interests, and I'll go with them. And then the next time around, it'll be, I don't know, uh, fiscal policy. So who has the best uh, platform on fiscal policy? And I'll go with them. Do you think that there's, they're bouncing around from one party to the next based on these ideas or is engagement still very much centered around uh, parties and ideologies? So I think that uh, family certainly plays a role in uh, political party choice. I, I think education does too. But when it comes to causes, um, I think for, let's say, high school through university and even a little bit after that, I don't think that people are necessarily dead set in who it is that they're going to support. Um, whenever there's an election, people will tend to focus, and again, in that age category, on certain issues and causes. And they'll shift from one party to another, potentially, um, based on how they think that the leader of said party um, performs on uh, on the campaign trail uh, with respect to certain things that they really care about, um, whether that's the healthcare system, uh, whether that's um, education, or whether that's um, in 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 today's time the environment. Um, I think that going forward in Quebec, after what we're seeing right now with the pandemic, we're going to um, we're going to have some people who are really interested in the healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. Um, some younger people who are volunteering for the first time and and heeding the call to go and work in some of the elderly care homes that we have in Quebec are you know, going to want to get involved and, and uh, make sure that their vote is heard. Um, that's just my feeling. I could be wrong on that. but Yeah. Do you think that our education system needs to make some more room in terms of political literacy? I do. I definitely do. I think that it should be something um, that everybody has the right to learn about um, 
from uh, in in a high school setting. Uh, again, in a multi-partisan uh, way, I think that we should try and maybe uh, allow students to meet with representatives of different political parties to come in and talk about their parties and their platforms. But uh, or at the very least, just talk about the basics. Yeah. You know, like what, what, something as simple as what is a writing? What's a constituency office? What's a, what's an elector versus a resident? And um, understanding federal versus provincial jurisdiction areas. And, you know, what does municipal do? Yeah. Why, for example, do we have a mayor of Montreal, but, you know, an area of Montreal like uh, Westmount has its own mayor? Yeah. There's a lot of people that um, would benefit tremendously from that at a young age because it'll make them better prepared for what comes after high school. It's like finance, right? There's some things that I wish I had learned about finance when I was in high school. 100%. Yeah. That I did not have a good understanding of from paying taxes to understanding how credit cards work to understanding a mortgage. (laughs) Making a budget, just a simple budget. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that there's some courses that uh, if it's not going to be done through the schools, that's one of the things that I love about where I work now is we do try and reach out to high school students and give them the opportunity to learn um, the basics of politics. Are they are they usually open to having you come in or, you know, there's like... There's, yeah. they're reluctant. Uh, they are open to having us come in because it's a multi-partisan approach, right? We're not coming in to sell one party or another. We're really there to just give people the tools to make those decisions for themselves. Right. And... Uh, and increase their 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 knowledge of the fundamentals of, of politics. Let's close it up, man. I know you got to go. Um, where do we stand now in terms of engagement? You know, is there anything that should be done or could be done more? Um, uh, is there anything that you should be doing more of or less of? Um, do you see your efforts in all these years that you've been involved in engagement? Uh, are they bearing fruit? Uh, uh, or are we still far away from seeing any sort of, you know, visible impact? So I think something really neat that you see around the world right now are that more and more young people are actually getting elected themselves. That's right. It's not this career that's, that I feel like it once was for people at the end of their professional careers, for an older um, generation to kind of uh, hold the reins. Uh, I feel that there are younger people. I mean, look at our own prime minister um, is, is quite young and, and before... Um, before Donald Trump, Barack Obama was quite young to be president of the United States. Uh, and elsewhere in the world, you have the same thing. But even at a, at a lower level, from city councillors to MNAs to um, members of parliament here within Canada, I think that you see some of the averages in age coming down uh, rapidly. That's true. Um, so I think that engagement is, is getting stronger. I think that more youth, as a result of all of the ways that we digest news today are figuring out, wow, I want to have a say in that. Yeah. Um, and they get passionate and then they decide that they want to jump in the political arena. Some of them for uh, campaigns and become candidates for the first time and don't necessarily win, but they still get that experience under their belt. Some people volunteer for the first time. So I think in terms of engagement, we're seeing our numbers going up um, across the board. And uh, I'm tremendously happy about that. I think it's amazing. I think that uh, youth wings are, are exciting opportunities for people to get involved with in different political parties. And um, we, see, we see a lot of it. So in that sense, I think it's alive and well um, from an engagement side. What would you like to see more of? I'd like to see... Well, that's a good question, George. What would I like to see more of? Um, 
I think I'd like to see more of people at, uh, at a high school level uh, actively getting out there and volunteering on campaigns for whatever campaign of their choice. I think at the university level, uh, there are a number of students who are doing it. I think that that's great, but it's really when you graduate high school that you're at a, a stage in your life where you're about to be cool. So perhaps volunteering for the first time and getting to know a candidate uh, of your choice uh, would be a really cool way to, to learn about politics. And I say that having done it myself at a bit of a later age, because I'd already graduated university, but had I had the chance or known about it when I was 16, 17, it would have been incredibly neat. Um, and some of these people need summer jobs or internships, and it's a great way to sort of get started in it and, um, and build from there. It's interesting that you're saying that because I, I was in the same boat, even though the interest was there, I maybe because I wasn't involved myself, I didn't understand or I didn't know that there was already established, you know, uh, the, the, the different youth wings that you can mm-hmm. get involved with. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that. And same like you, I graduated and much later, I, I came into politics. Uh, had I known that, for example, at 16, I could get involved with any party. Yeah. Maybe I would have started earlier. I'm not sure. Who knows? Maybe my mind wasn't there at that age. But uh, no. And then you could have participated, for example, in a youth wing convention, exactly, uh, which are great ways just to meet people from different walks of life and learn and participate in this uh, experience um, together uh, at, at a young age. Yeah, but then again, we didn't have people like you, for example, going around telling us, "Look, this exists. You know, this is something that could be of interest to you. Get involved, meet people." Uh, I feel like back in my back in my day, if you if your parents or your uncle or someone that you knew very closely wasn't already involved to kind of guide you and say, "Hey, look, there's this organization. Why don't you come mm-hmm. help us out?" You know, I, I, there there was very little um, we had as information mm-hmm. to, to actually figure this thing out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I look back on my experience in um, growing up, I very much the same thing. I, I wish that I had had the opportunity to hear from somebody from an organization like the one I work for now um, that could have uh, got me into it sooner. Right. Absolutely. But uh, thankfully, I had my experience in uh, Lurie Dorian to, uh, to do that for me. <laughs> Dude, I want to thank you for coming on, man, uh, for the second time. <laughs> Thank you, George. I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, man, this thing will be done with so that we can see each other face to face. I know. And uh, I know you're than later. I know you're worried about shaking hands and stuff, but uh, you know, I'm gonna give you an elbow bump uh, on Zoom. There you go. Virtual elbow bump, uh, but uh, for sure, when we see each other, bro, you're getting a hug. Uh, I can't wait. I'll tell you prior that I'm I'm okay there, so that you don't. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Right. I trust you, George. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Ciao. Bye.